Welcome to the Circular Economy podcast by the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. Clothing production has doubled in the last 15 years. Furthermore, during the same period, clothing utilization has decreased by about 36%. We can't continue like this. Circular economy business models ensure products are used more and for a longer period of time. They allow businesses to create more revenue without producing more products or extracting more raw materials. But what do these business models look like in practice and what do we need to do in order to scale them? This is the Circular Economy Show podcast, produced by the Ella MacArthur Foundation, where we develop and promote the idea of a circular economy, engage key actors to make it happen, and mobilize system solutions at scale. My name is Laura Franco, I am part of the team here, and I will be your host for this episode. Today, we're going to be taking a look at how policy in the context of Europe can be a key enabler of circular economy business models, and we will dive into the fashion and textiles industries. Our guests will help us get a better understanding of the European textiles policy world, how it works, and how it is key in setting the direction for businesses and innovation towards the circular economy. We will hear from several people, including Lars Mortensen, the circular economy expert at the European Environment Agency, Paola Migliorini, the deputy head of unit on sustainable production, products and consumption at the European Commission. And we will also have a representative from Sweden, Rebecca Ögla, who is the senior advisor at the Swedish Environmental Protection Agency. As a reminder, this episode of the Circular Economy Show podcast is based on a recent conversation we had as part of our Circular Economy Show program. If you'd like to watch the whole show, you can find the link in the episode description. But before we hear from our external guests, let's hear from Marilyn Martinez, the project manager at the Make Fashion Circular team, who told us a bit more about the current situation of business models in the fashion industry. It's actually an exciting time, I think, for circular business models in the fashion industry. If we only look three years back, that's like 2019, what we've seen is a massive increase in startups looking into ways that the fashion industry can resell clothes, for example, or rent clothes. And that has skyrocketed in the last three years. And to prove that, um, I mean, you can see that today we have about... In, in the industry, there are about um, six, what they call it, unicorns, which means that companies are valued of over um, a billion, a billion um, that are, that are, I guess, startups that were born by renting or reusing clothes in, in different ways. And some of these are, I mean, you might know some of these, they're called um, Vestia Collective, Vintes, ThreadUp, uh, Poshmark, um, and a few others that I'm forgetting. Um, so, so that's really exciting. And what is exciting about that is that because this is, these startups have massively scaled in the last three years, then it has spurred a way of innovation, meaning that now really, I guess, big retailers and uh, incumbent brands that are already established in the market uh, are really, I guess, accelerated the, their efforts in trying to find new ways in which they can create revenue without making more products. So these, these startups have really, I guess, accelerated the pace in which companies are innovating throughout the, throughout the industry. Uh, another thing that we've seen, and that's, I mean, at no surprise, given that the last year we've, we've been um, 
we've we've gone through different types of lockdowns um, all over the world, and I think that um, customers, so that's like people like us, um, have really changed their way of accessing fashion or reconsider the way in which they're accessing fashion. Uh, Lots of people have realized that they don't need that many clothes in their in their homes. Um, I guess our lifestyle have changed a bit as well. And that means that they're more open than ever before in trying new ways of accessing fashion. Rental and recommerce are the most common circular economy business models we see today. But Marilyn told us that there is definitely more to it with other exciting examples emerging in the market. What we are starting to see um, is that there are also startups right now emerging that are starting to combine different strategies into their own core business model. And what that means is, for example, um, I know of one startup that has only sources secondhand used clothes um, and has implemented a rental subscription model with those secondhand clothes. So actually, you know, in one in one core business model, there's there are different ways in which she's implementing these um, these circular business models in, into their strategy. Um, another one that is super exciting is that there are startups right now looking into, and, and even companies actually, um, that have decided to move away completely um, and start thinking beyond products. So how can you create more money uh, and deliver fashion to customers without even having to make anything in the first place. So for example, digital clothing and digital collections um, are now emerging. And, and that is like a, a people, you know, a person like me, for example, goes into a website, you pay for a digital dress, you submit your picture, that dress gets fitted into you, and then you have that picture that you can use to um, post on your social media. Um, and I use it as a, you know, I guess, social media content development. Um, so it's, it's quite, it's a completely different way in which companies can, can create money. But at the same time, it's also not attached to products. It's definitely uh, a nice way moving forward and a very innovative way um, that, that I'm seeing in the market, I guess. We have explained what circular economy business models are all about. And we have covered some examples of what they look like in practice. But how do we ensure that these circular economy business models become the norm? What needs to happen? Well, let's hear one more time from Marilyn Martinez. So I think there are probably three, four key things that need to happen um, along the industry, starting for a mindset shift. Um, and that's a mindset shift from seeing circular business models as an add-on on, or as, as something that stands uh, separate for, from a company's core business to, a, in a sense, and essentially a core business opportunity. So that's the first thing. And I think that when people um, start having this mindset shift, and really appreciate circular business models from the core business opportunity that they are, uh, because they, you know, they are, they allow companies to increase in the revenue without having further environmental impact. So the promise is is very compelling. Um, then it will start unlocking a couple of other things that we need, which is that um, we need the industry to start exploring the full suite of different um, business model strategies that are the circular business model strategies that are out there. So as I was mentioning, um, rental and re-commerce are the most common, but there's a plethora of ways in which companies can create more revenue without creating more more, more products. So it, it 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 we need these companies and business leaders to really start um, I guess 
exploring deeply um, and, and in many different ways and combining different strategies to really get these benefits of circular business models. Um, and, and then while doing that, it is worth for them also to consider what are the best practices when implementing circular business models. So what are the key differences from you know, reverse logistics compared to the traditional linear model logistics and have those uh, things right up front so then we ensure that there are no unintended consequences when implementing and increasing the market share of the circular business models. Um, and finally, um, and I guess most importantly for, for this session is the need for collective action to really address and ease the uptake of circular business models um, throughout the fashion industry. And what I mean collective action is not just um, the fashion industry, but also the investor community, the, the media, and everyone around the fashion industry to act together and collaborate so that we can effectively start embedding new ways of accessing fashion within our mainstream culture. So, a mindset change, reaching a scale, sharing best practices and collective action. Now it is time to move to the people influencing and designing our policies, or how I call them, policy influencers. First, we will hear from Lars Mortensen, the circular economy expert at the European Environment Agency. This European institution monitors the environment in Europe through data collection and indicators and through preparing assessments. They focus primarily on the environment and circular economy is one of their priority areas. They have just published a report, a framework for enabling circular economy business models in Europe, which explores what needs to happen for these business models to become the norm. Let's hear more about the key enablers they have identified. We just published uh, both a briefing and a report actually on a, a new framework to enable circular business models. And in that framework, what we do is that we identify the innovation which is needed in the companies and the enablers that are needed, the policy enablers and, and educational enablers. And what we identify is, is, is different types of innovation. When we talk about innovation, most people think of innovation is about technology. That is correct. There is technological innovation needed, for example, on textiles, uh, uh, new types of textiles, new ways of recycling, etc. But there's also so social innovation needed and a lot of people really are not so much aware of that. Social innovation is about new ways of working with people, uh, new forms of interacting, the whole social media and, and all that. So the innovation is needed, but the, the innovation doesn't happen by itself. And that's what we are pointing to because the policy actually needs to enable the innovation as well. So it's really important that the policymakers put the right policies, the right regulation uh, in place to enable uh, the scaling of the circular business models and not to, to hinder them. We just heard it. Policymakers need to put the right regulations and policies in place for innovation and circular economy business models to scale. Now, what does this mean in practice? Let's hear about some examples of specific policy measures. We do actually, what we've done is that we've actually made a whole menu of, of, of policy options. We're not a policy-making institutions, so it's up to the policymakers to decide which ones to use. And one that we point to, for example, is, is eco-design. So basically to, to, to have better eco-design measures in place to put guidelines and regulation about how to design, for example, textiles so that they're better for, for the environment, so that the textiles last longer, so they can be easily repaired, for example. So that's one really 
important measure that could uh, could be much more fully implemented and put in place. Of course, changing the, the economy is not easy. This is about uh, using taxes, uh, levies, uh, removing the subsidies, which is not e easy. And it's not easy for policymakers. Often policymakers uh, hesitate to do so. But I think it's really important to move towards regular business models. You also need to, to get the prices right. You need to have prices actually reflect the environmental damage of, of, of the products uh, that you produce. And one way to do this could perhaps be to to agree on, on targets overall at EU level or at country level, and then leave it up to the country to say, okay, how can we best meet these targets? Because often uh, research shows that the best way to meet the targets is through the use of, 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 of taxes and levies. Uh, for example, you can change the, the VAT rates for certain things that are, are more circular, so that's, uh, that, that's one option. Changing the economy can be a real challenge, but there are always ways to do it, as Lars explained to us. Well, I think it's interesting on the, in this whole area of circular business models and, 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 and textiles that this is really new on the policy agenda. There's not a lot of regulation on it. And now we're looking forward to see what comes out of the Commission in terms of a, a, a strategy for sustainable textiles and how that should uh, should enable the circular, circular business models. And, and I hope that this strategy will also address the circular business models. And I hope that national strategies will also address the circular business models because what we've found is that the circular business models do not, they're not implemented by themselves. They're not scaled by themselves without the, the really the right innovation in place. Of course, this is up to the companies, but, but the enablers in terms of policy, but also in terms of education is really needed from the policy makers. So it's really important that the policy makers put the right framework in, in place that enable the uh, the enable scaling of these circular business models, both in terms of you know, not having policies that are made for the old economy, but policies that are made for this new circular economy that makes it easier, but also in terms of perhaps providing financial uh, contributions and support to many of these uh, businesses who are really trying to scale the circular business models. I think that's important. I think it can be done, and I think it will be done, actually. Now, let's move to talk about policy at the European level with Paola Migliorini, the Deputy Head of the Unit on Sustainable Production, Products and Consumption at the European Commission, who is currently working on the European Union textiles strategy. But before we dive into that, let's get a bit of context on the EU's journey on circular economy and why the focus is on the textile sector at the moment. It's a long journey that uh, that we have started uh, several years ago. And in fact, uh, at European level, um, we have been trying to indicate more uh, clearly where we wanted to go uh, last year, I would say, with the European uh, Green Deal. So the, the green growth strategy for, uh, for this commission. And um, a few months later, the Circular Economy Action Plan number two, we identified a series of uh, uh, key value chains that uh, really needed to go circular. They needed this uh, um, policy enablers push, I, I could say, uh, just to repeat what uh, Lars has indicated. So uh, why It's certainly because we have identified it as an area with uh, big potentials, untapped potentials, and uh, also uh, we have made it a political commitment. I think that one of the key successes of 
any major changes is really to have a big uh, political momentum and we have see we have this now with uh, with the textiles we also see that there are big opportunities for businesses and allow me to link it also to the specific situation of covid so it's a question of of uh, opportunity at the same time and see how we can address uh, some of the difficulties of a sector that has been hit by pushing even even more on uh, the opportunities that uh, moving to circular economy could uh, could provide so it's really a mix i would say of of uh, of measures of uh, political commitment and economic opportunities to move towards greater circularities This is what Paola had to say when she was asked about the concrete policy measures that can push those business models forward. We are going to focus on at least on design and on the waste uh, aspects. Huh? So when you think about design, you need to look through the angles that we see. So looking at requirements and incentives. For business models, we really think that we need to do more on incentives. At the same time, some of the requirements that will come out, and I see how complex it can be for, uh, for the participants to follow, but some of the requirements that will come out with different measures on sustainable products, for examples, that uh, we're going also to adopt, will allow Uh, to have the enabler in place for the, the most appropriate business models. I'm thinking about, for example, reparability, uh, requirements for uh, uh, recycled content to a certain extent, requirements for uh, uh, durability, uh, the, the type of material. So all these elements will be uh, hopefully part of specific uh, requirements that will enable then businesses to understand and to, to, to turn into practice and into new business models the, the measures that, uh, that we, have, we will have designed in, uh, in the course of, of the years. So it's a combination of uh, requirements and incentives. So also maybe uh, supporting. Um, you see just something that I always uh, find uh, as um, engaging with, with some stakeholders. We say that the circular economy makes business sense. And then we are asked about what are the incentives that you're putting in place, incentives I'm talking about, for example, funds. And we also need to think beyond the boundaries of the European Union. We need to devise a policy that has international aspects. So not only for the European uh, model, clearly. I think that uh, we are engaging also with international partners because uh, of, uh, of that. We want to strengthen the competitiveness of the European businesses. And when you talk about um, materials, for example, so we want to ensure that uh, uh, we ensure the quality of the material, I'm thinking about uh, you know professional textiles. So the quality of the materials. Uh, so then, uh, secondary raw material markets are developed, but at the same time, th we don't have to compromise on uh, on the quality, for example, or on, on some uh, uh, health and, and safety uh, features that uh, that some quality material allows. So again the same balance between trying to push for specific materials, trying to address specific countries or specific areas for the problems or for the opportunities that they have on circular economy. Now we are moving from the regional to the national level to talk to Rebecca Ugla, who is the senior advisor at the Swedish Environmental Protection Agency. Sweden has already taken some steps when it comes to putting forward concrete policy measures to support circular economy business models in the textiles industry. 
for example, VAT reduction on the repair of textiles or an EPR scheme proposal. Let's hear a bit more about these examples I just mentioned and how Sweden is also working to bring more information to its customers. Sweden has also a, a, um, had an EPR scheme proposal on consultation and now the answers have to be compiled and, and evaluated. And the purpose of introducing an EPR for textiles is twofolded. So the first one is to achieve environmental benefit through the increased collection of textiles for reuse and textile waste for recycling, primarily then for preparation for reuse and recycling. The other one is to place responsibility for waste management and recycling on, on textiles on the producer based on the polluted paste principles. Now, the proposal says that the Swedish EPA should estimate how much textile waste is thrown away in the residual waste uh, and in the energy recovery fraction at recycling centers at 2022. And the long-term target for this average is to be reduced by 90%. And this will be done in three stages related to 2022. So in 2036, the average is to have a total decrease by 90%. Now, thinking about what to do with the material that's been collected, um, the target for handling the collected material is that at least 90% of the textile waste collected by the collection system is to be prepared for reuse or be sent for recycling. Another thing that we've been working with is an effort to inform consumers uh, about a more sustainable consumption of textiles and also to stimulate more sustainable business models within textile and fashion. So we've just had a three-year governmental assignment to inform consumers about more sustainable consumption of textiles. And we've done this for... Um, uh, 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 for example, through an Instagram account called Textile Smart, we got 21 million crowns for the assignment, and they could also be used for the development of more sustainable business models. So we decided to put uh, 3 million crowns into a project called Retextile. They've been working with plenty of actors to develop new concepts and collections, beneficial for the environment as well as for economic reasons. And we textile, they also started a project called Fact Movement, uh, where 10 influencers were recruited, and they agreed not to buy anything new for six months while getting education, inspiration, and, and challenges. And these influencers then spread their insights on social media, inspiring consumers with more sustainable consumption of textiles, and also revealing new values to the industry uh, that they could capture while developing their business models. Um, we, as uh, the Swedish EPA, thought that this was a very interesting way um, uh, to, to inform consumers and to inspire others. So uh, we decided to make a financial contribution uh, to start up a new round of Fact Moment, uh, though having it scaled up into a national Fact Moment. So 63 new influences spread all over Sweden were recruited. And we also established a communicative cooperation between Textile Smart and Fact Movement. Let's hear more about the learnings of this process and its implementation in Sweden. 
uh, our main learnings and, and, uh, and challenges and outcomes from our work with this is, uh, well, we know that Sweden has a high consumption of, of newly produced textiles. I mean, we, we consume almost 14 kilos of textiles per person a year. And the availability of new clothes is high and household expenditure and the purchase of textiles have decreased over the 20, uh, last 20 years, while the amount of textiles purchased have increased by almost 30%. So um, we know that recycling isn't the, the uh, solution when it comes to Sweden. Instead, we need to focus on, on using, wearing the products uh, already in place more than what we actually do today. Um, based on our work, we know that everybody has to contribute to development and we need to work uh, with the whole value chain. And the transition to circular economy must be conducted jointly by politicians, the business sector, the public sector, academia, private individuals and society. Uh, the solutions uh, uh, to the problem, they cannot be solved by one single group. Um, so uh, everybody has to contribute and um, uh, we think that it's important to work, for example, uh, both to stimulate the supply uh, as well as the demand for more sustainable products and services. These changes have to go hand in hand. We had some great conversations as part of this episode, and I hope you have enjoyed them as much as I have. I have some key takeaways from you. The first one, circular economy business models ensure that products are used more, or in other words, they allow businesses to create more revenue without producing more products or extracting more raw materials. It is already happening in the fashion industry as businesses have realized the economic opportunity And these business models go way beyond rental and e-commerce. Embedding the circular economy across industries will require us to develop comprehensive policy frameworks from the regional to the national level that bring together a variety of measures because we know that voluntary commitments by industry leaders alone are not going to achieve the scale that we require. We need to accelerate the creation and implementation of new policies, incentives and regulation that allow the systemic change we need to make the circular economy a reality across industries and geographies. That is all from us today. But if you want to find out more about the topic, we have included the whole conversation in the description of this podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast and like, rate and share to help us spread the word. Thank you for listening and we look forward to seeing you next time on the Circular Economy Show podcast. Thanks for listening to the Ellen MacArthur Foundation Circular Economy podcast. Don't forget to share, rate and subscribe.